How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. And we got down to verse 17. <clears throat> and as always, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, regarding the study at hand please by all means go ahead ask away be glad to hear from you if it's not related to the topic at hand if you just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast as we'll try to get to it then if we have time and as always we're going to be uh, working our way through here uh, taking a look at uh, the what the how and the why of scripture that's interpretation application demonstration seeing what it flat out says the narrative of the text the literal face value then we back up go again through it slowly taking a look at how it's being said uh, the specific words and the pictures and the images and how we compare what we're reading with other aspects of the word of god as well all for the purpose of the why why is this important for personal application to apply it to ourselves for our own learning to go live it speak it think it do it personal demonstration so with that grab a tea grab a coffee grab your bibles notepads and pens and uh, grab all your study material and join us at the table as we take a look at the gospel of matthew chapter 21 and we're going to be picking up at verse 17. Okay, so again, folks, just FYI, uh, letting you know, um, we will not be here uh, next week as we're going to be gone from May 22nd to June 2nd. So there'll be no regular broadcasts during that time. So just want to let you know, um, we will be getting up Sunday's message, uh, setting it up for Monday morning. But following that, there'll be no regular broadcasts from May 22 to June 2nd. Just want to let you know, so you're not wondering where in the world did we go and all of that, what happened to us. So that we're just heading out uh, for a trip and we'll be back again on May 2nd, Lord willing. And we'll pick up again uh, following that. So just letting you know. All right. So with that, let's grab our Bibles. Join us at the table here. Pull your chair up. And Matthew 21, verse 17. So previously, we were taking a look, and, and we see here uh, about perfected praise. And uh, this is kind of the topic of the previous section as we are looking at, and about how uh, at the last year, verse 15 and 16, about the little children crying out hosannas, that even the children knew uh, by looking at what he was doing, what was being said and all this as they understood and how the Pharisees and all of them got mad. And we took a look at why and all of this. And we see what is praise according to God in this context. So we see Jesus finishes up in verse 16, uh, speaking to the Pharisees as that they were really mad at the children praising Jesus. And in verse 16, Jesus says, Yea, have ye never read? We <laughs> looked at that as Jesus is literally insulting the Pharisees by this. As they're supposed to be doctors of the law, masters of the of the scriptures and all of this. And Jesus says, Have you never read? Do you have have no understanding about what it is you say you believe? When you call yourself a, a leader of the scriptures and you don't know what you're talking about, which just goes to show. All because someone is someone is wearing their religious smock and they're standing in a pulpit and all the rest of it. All because they have the degrees and the diplomas. All because they say they've been a Christian for X amount of years. All because they say they've read the Bible for, you know, 5,000 times. It doesn't mean anything. No, so you got to look past the appearance, past all of the religious observances, look past all this, and you test the doctrine of the heart, the doctrine of the mind. That's what matters. All because someone has been in it for so long. It's not about it's not about how long you've been on the road. It's how far you've traveled. So this is what we got to look at. So that Jesus even addresses this. And uh, we see another part where these ones come and they're supposed to be the leaders and they look, as Jesus says, they look beautiful. And that they, the, the amount of stuff that they do in all this, but it's empty. 
It says that they're empty, full of dead men's bones. They're nothing but whitewashed sepulchers. They have not the love of God in them. But to listen to them, they talk about God and they're praying all the time, fasting all the time and teaching all the time and doing all this stuff and carrying out all the traditions and the ordinances. But Jesus says they're empty. It's, it's void. It's vain. It's pointless what they're doing. Because it's the doctrine of the heart, the doctrine of the mind is what we look at. Is also why Jesus says to judge not after the appearance. So, again, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. So we see even the children knew more than these ones did. Than the priests, uh, chief, the chief priests and the scribes. The children knew more. So that's that's something to go with. All right, so verse 17, and he leaves them. He finishes up there and he leaves. And as he went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. So again, we see Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. He's God manifested in the flesh. And we see Jesus uh, laughing, Jesus crying, Jesus gets angry, Jesus, uh, Jesus weeps. And we see Jesus gets hungry, Jesus eats, he sleeps. Again, we see the humanity of Christ. The humanity of Christ in all of this. So Jesus traveling and he's hungry. Just as we see him traveling uh, back in uh, John 4, again, he and he's thirsty. And he asks the woman at the well for a drink. <clears throat> so we see here, he's hungry and he saw a fig tree in the way. He came to it and found nothing thereon. We're going to be taking a look at the fig tree today. Now, a lot of people wonder about this one, but Jesus dealing with the fig tree. And he sa says here, and he found nothing on the fig tree, but leaves only. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled and, and saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? And they, they were amazed at, at this. Jesus curses the fig tree and it just shrivels up and just dies. We're going to look at this. Why, why did he do this? What was the point? A lot of people have differing ideas and opinions on this. So, what's your thoughts? Why did, he, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? What's your thoughts on this? Some say it's just a, like Jesus talking in another passage about, you know, how you can, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard, so you can say to this mountain, remove hence, and it will. Some people kind of pair it in the same context as that. And then, uh, others have differing ideas as to why uh, the the, the sim, uh, symbolism of it. But let's take a look at some interesting things on this. Now, there's two passages I want to take to for application of this. <clears throat> so, Jesus says, have you never read? So we're going to go back and we're going to read in some of these things. We're going to search the scriptures. Then we're going to go back into the Old Testament. We're going to go back to Numbers. All the way back to the book of Numbers. And you're going to look at Numbers chapter 17. So please grab your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 17. <clears throat> all right so numbers chapter 17 we see moses and aaron and all the other people here and they're wanting to figure uh, figure out uh, by, by the lord's choice who is the high priest of the tabernacle and all of this as some some others are kind of challenging others so they said it before the lord <clears throat> so numbers chapter 17 verse 1 and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take every one of them a rod. Now, these are like the walking sticks uh, kind of thing. And uh, take, take these, take every one of them a rod, according to the house of their fathers, of all, of all their princes, according to the house of the fathers, twelve rods. Write thou every man's name upon his rod. And thou, and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. 
And it shall come to pass that the man's rod, whom I shall choose, shall blossom. And I will, I will make to cease from me the morning, the mornings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece, for each prince one, according to the father's houses, even twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. Verse 7, And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds, and blossomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto all the children of Israel, and they looked and took every man his rod. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels, and thou shalt quite, thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me, that they die not. All right, so we get the idea here. Now... <clears throat> As we see here, that the rod of Aaron was laid up before the Lord, and the Lord showed by this, uh, by causing Aaron's rod to blossom, bud, and produce almonds, to show life in the rod of Aaron as the blessing of God. Now, we go back to Matthew 21. Now, this is we're looking at as a, a kind of a cross-reference here, in application just some ideas of something interesting here when jesus walked up before this now what did he just finish doing previously dealing with the chief priests the chief priests now if you take a look at the uh, at the priests of the temple the high priest the sanhedrin the pharisees the scribes and the sadducees the herodians all of these all of the leadership of israel opposes the lord opposes jesus christ and uh, very very few uh believed on him like nicodemus all these but they they kept their mouths shut but we're taking taking a look at the at the authority of the leadership of the temple the chief priests oppose the lord and so when jesus walking by the fig tree found nothing found nothing curses it and it withers up that it produced no life so we see an application here as interesting as aaron's rod budded to show the blessing of the lord the chosen of god upon the priesthood jesus now god manifest in the flesh curses the fig tree that shriveled up it produces it produces nothing because he's looked to see if there's anything on it uh, that would uh, that would be a blessing to him and he found nothing he found nothing so he curses it so we see uh, uh, symbolizing by this, symbolizing uh, the curse upon the leadership of the temple. As they were no longer the, the priesthood, they were no longer the chosen of God for the priesthood. Because now what does scripture say? In Christ, we are, are the royal priesthood. No, no longer the priests of the temple. Now, also hold your finger here. Go over to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And what we want is verses 6 to 9. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree. It's interesting the Lord keeps picking this kind of thing. Now I know the whole thing with Aaron's rod was almonds. They're talking about the, the symbolism of the, the blessing of this and the blossoming and the fruit bearing of, of this to... to symbolize indicate the leadership of the temple but we take a look here at fruit in general and uh, uh, luke 13 verse 6 and he spake also this parable a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none again and jesus found nothing on the fig tree and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none this is luke 13 verse 6 to 9 and then he said to the dresser of his vineyard Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? How long was Jesus' ministry? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. 
Now, we see here, again, indicating of the fig tree, and it produces nothing, and how it will be cut down. And Jesus found, uh, sought fruit of the fig tree, had nothing, and so he cursed it, and it withered up. So we see by this that there's much symbolism. There, there's much in the picture of this, indi indicating, talking about the priesthood of the temple. And we went back in number 17, taking a look at the at the imagery of Aaron's rod that budded, as the blessing of the Lord upon this as, as the chosen of the priesthood. And now we see by, by the new dispensation, by the blood of the covenant of Jesus Christ, the priesthood passes over no longer upon the chief priest of the temple, no longer upon the lineage of Aaron, but now it's upon the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are the priests of God. For ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What? Know ye not? Ye are the temple of God which is in you, and ye are not your own. And we see not long after this, the Lord also uh, showing this by tearing uh, the the curtain, the dividing curtain in the holies to holies from top to bottom, tears it apart. And we see in this as well showing uh, the Lord made a way for us to come before. It's no longer in the in the temples made with hands, but in the uh, but in the hearts of the believers. The Spirit of God doesn't live in buildings, but in the hearts of the believers. Ephesians three seventeen. So there's much in this about the whole fig tree thing. We want to pair this with um, Luke 13, pair this with Numbers 17. And we're also going to take a look at John chapter 15. So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. And we're going to see some similar language in this. Again, as the Lord uses a lot, lot of this uh, in, in similarities in the stories and the parables and the teachings of this, it all pairs together. So in John chapter 15, we're going to take a look at uh, verses 1 to 6. Or 1 to 7. We'll see how it goes. All right, so John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. So there it is. We see the dresser of the vineyard, the husbandman, those that look after these, these plants. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. So, there, so we see as uh, Aaron's rod was a stick that was cut down, carved into a walking stick. It was a, a piece of dead wood. But then placed before the Lord and with the blessing of God, by the life of God, this dead stick brought forth fruit. It budded and, and uh, flowered and produced almonds. How'd that happen? That's the power of God. As we are dead in trespasses and sins, and then we are taken, grafted in, into the, the vine, given life by God, and we produce fruit. The fig tree... Uh, produced nothing it was dead and we, we see the picture of this now again we see similar language abide in me and i knew as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me i am the vine ye are the branches he that abideth in me and i in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me ye can do nothing if a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch and is withered the fig tree produced nothing. What happened? It was cast forth. It, the, the Lord cursed it. And and, uh, and men, as, uh, verse 6. And if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather, men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So we see uh, there is an application we can take from John 15, 1 to 6. Paired upon Luke 13 and number 7 in conjunction with Matthew 21. I see Jesus here dealing with the fig tree. And this is all in uh, in language of dealing with the Pharisees, talking about the priesthood order, about how because of what they've done, they have, they have not abided in the Lord. They've dried up. They produce no fruit and the Lord will curse it. 
And this is exactly what happened. So I hope that makes sense. You can always rewind this, go over this again, uh, take down the notes and do the study yourself. And if you have any other thoughts on this, please, by all means, go ahead, share away. And uh, so we see the context here is dealing with the priesthood. The priesthood. Who are the priests of God? No longer these ones dealing in the temple of the lineage of Aaron, of the priesthood of Aaron. It's no longer that, but it's now the believer priests as what they're called. Believer priests. All those who believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, are priests of God. It's not like in the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, these, uh, these uh, pagan uh, denominations, uh, where where you have to go and be elected as. No, 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 no. All who believe on the Lord, according to the scriptures, all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation from their sins are saved by the Spirit of God by confessing with their mouth the belief of their heart upon the work of Jesus Christ, of his death, burial, resurrection. All those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are believer priests. All. That's what scripture says. Okay. So, if we back up here, so Jesus, in verse 19 of Matthew 21, verse 19, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing. Just like all these other ones that we were looking at, similar language, he found nothing, but leaves only, no fruit. Now, in context of dealing with the priesthood order of the Jews here, that they rejected Jesus Christ, that they are cast off and it's given to someone else. They found nothing there but leaves only. He said unto, uh, unto let no fruit grow on thee henceforth, henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. As he cannot bear fruit of itself, it must be grafted in. But if it does not abide in him, it will not bring forth fruit. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? How soon is the fig tree withered away? And we see how fast it happens when we don't walk in the Lord. We're not mindful of the Lord. We don't dwell in the Lord. How fast can we dry up and wither away in faith? How fast? It's scary. It's scary how fast it happens. When we don't abide in the Lord and we're just kind of being apathetic about it, how fast we dry up spiritually. And it's just like this. This is the picture of this. And Jesus, verse 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which was done to the fig tree, but also if, if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye will ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. So we see there's multiple applications in this. As I was talking about, but in direct context, as we see in what he was dealing with, and we compare this with other passages and dealing with the, the priesthood order and about believers, about what happens when you leave the Lord, when you walk away from the Lord. Look what Jesus says. If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also, ye but also if ye shall say to this mountain. So see, there's a twofold. So uh, talking about here, as you see, do you not know the saints shall judge the world? The saints shall judge the world. So when when the saint of God is walking with the Lord, studying his word, walking in him as a priest of God. And you see others who are, uh, who are posing themselves as priests of God, like, for example, Joyce Myers. Stephen Furtick or Joel Osteen or Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, these kinds of ones, they have no fruit. They have leaves only. They look like they have life, but they produce no fruit and there's nothing in them. And we speak in the name of the Lord and we say, do not know the saints shall judge the world and how judgment must begin at the house of God. And we go in righteous judgment, uh, uh, exposing them as for what they are, uh, we see by the power of God, they will wither up in the view of the people and see that they have no power. They have no life. They have nothing by the judgment of the word of God upon them. You shall not only do this which was done to the victory, but also in walking with the Lord as we see in the power of his might and everything that you do, even eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God, that will be always established in him. 
in faith and prayer, doubting nothing as we talked about prayer and not doubting. But also, if ye shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. But also we see in, in prayer and asking of the Lord in faith, believing ye shall have what you ask. Verse 22, and in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. And we talked about prayer and praying in his will and what his will is and how this works and what happens to our will when we walk in the Lord. In the power of his might in prayer and all things, the spirit of God teaching us. Now, there is a verse I want to bring into this. Remember the reference. I think it's Romans 8, 26. Romans 8, 26. Talking about prayer and all of this and about what you ask in prayer. Now, Romans 8, 26 is one. And someone also has asked me to clarify Romans 8, 26. So this is going to be kind of a twofold, kill two birds with one stone kind of thing. And we're going to be addressing it in context of our study and this uh, person was asking me to explain Romans 8 26. <clears throat> um, so in Romans 8 26 likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with gro with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now they asked this question of uh, on my one video, uh, we're dealing with biblical tongues. I'm not going to go into tongues at this moment. What I'm going to do is just talking about prayer and the meaning of Romans 8, 26. So I'm just going to go there for in my tablet here. And we're going to take a look at some words here. Now, in Romans 8, 26. Now, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. As we see in John chapter 16, how the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, abides with us always, seals us, teaches us, guides us, convicts us, um, and uh, how he causes us to be in remembrance of everything whereunto the Lord has said. He's our teacher, our instructor, he's our convictor. And also we see here he teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how to pray. So he helps us in all of all our infirmities, meaning our weaknesses. For where, for where we are weak, he is strong. He helps us in our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Now, we have no idea what we're doing most of the time. And nobody really knows how to pray properly. Everybody has a differing idea and view and opinion on prayer and how we should pray what prayer is like and our words our minds our thoughts are very weak before the lord we don't know exactly what, what to do this is why we cry out abba father and we just let known what's going on we just talk to the lord but the lord he knows our hearts he knows our needs he knows what's going on and he knows how to help us even in the weakness of our words now look at this. Now I want to look at some words here in Romans 8 26. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit make itself maketh intercession for us with groanings. Now what is groanings? Um stenegmos. Stenegmos. A groaning, a sigh. So sighing, a sighing of the heart. For saying we don't know what to say. We're in a moment and we just we don't have words that don't know what to say with groanings which cannot be uttered so which cannot be uttered which cannot be uttered al al atos al al atos not to be uttered not expressed in words um <clears throat> a derivative of unspeakable unutterable which cannot be uttered uh, we literally have no idea what to say we're kind of just, we're caught between a rock and a hard place, and we literally are speechless. We don't know what to say with the, the trials, the temptations, the issues, the problems coming down. What this means is, when we're standing before the Lord, and we literally don't know what to say, that the Spirit of God knows the situation. He knows the circumstances. 
He knows exactly what's going on. He knows what's on our heart and mind. He knows how we're feeling about this. And he makes he makes the way. He provides the need. He gives the protection, the guidance, all these things. He knows exactly what to go about. You don't even need to tell him. He knows the heart. And so that's what it means that's what it means here. That the spirit maketh itself intercession. Uh oh, that's the wrong one. Makes maketh intercession. Oh goodness, I don't know how to pronounce that one. Cooper and Tungano. To intercede for one. To intercede in the behalf of. To intercede in the behalf of. So we're standing before the Lord and we just don't know what to say. The Spirit of God knows exactly what's going on. And is and knows exactly what the need is and provides it. This is not a passage. Romans 8:26 is not a passage that can be used to validate charismatic tongues. That's not what it's saying. Is this does not mean like what the charismatics thing thing is where you just stand there you kind of put yourself in a trance and you start making noises and the spirit of god will take over and you'll just start doing the flintstone noises the spirit of god makes intercession that's not what that means as the charismatics try to say it is no this is not what this means it's talking about the provision of god that he knows no what he he has stored up uh, our needs he's just waiting for us to ask that's what that means he already knows our needs and he already has the provisions and so when we come before him and we don't know really what to say he already knows and he already has it prepared and he provides it he is our intercessor even in prayer that's what that means that's what that means hope that makes sense so go back to matthew 21 Okay, so, and in all things, verse 22, Matthew 21, 22, and in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now, we looked at this, and we looked at praying according to his will and what this means. Then we abide in the Lord and, and, and his word abides in us. We see how our will becomes his will. We kind of give up our own desires of lusts and things of this world. And we pray accord, according to his will, which isn't the, the biblical sense, where it's not he, to heap upon our lusts. All right, so, and in all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Okay, verse 23. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people, they came unto him as he was teaching. And said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? So going back to the whole priesthood of the temple thing, the priesthood of the temple. They didn't even recognize the, the power and authority of God. You would think, you would think, that if you were a teacher of the scriptures, a leader of the people of the faith of God, of the law of Moses, you're a teacher of the scrolls. They're, part of the whole thing is to memorize the scrolls, to memorize the whole law, to memorize all the books of Moses. This is what you're supposed to do, to know it all by heart, to memorize scripture. You would think that if you were a leader of the faith, and you saw this one named Jesus teaching and working all this stuff that you would recognize what he's saying, what he's doing is lining up with all of scripture. And you would recognize the authority of God, you would think. But we walked through this and showed you why they are opposing him because they know full well who he is. They know what his authority is and they just hate him. So they're challenging him here in verse 23. Now look at this. Jesus is in the middle of teaching. He's in the middle of teaching. And we see the audacity, the arrogance, the arrogance of these ones. They just butt right in, interrupt the service to challenge his authority, to challenge him. 
By what authority doest thou these things? By what authority doest thou these things? Who gave you the right? What do you think you're doing? So by what authority? Now, if they had been listening to him, they would know by what authority. They would know that he's speaking by the power of God. They would, they would recognize the scriptures that Jesus is quoting. They would recognize the miracles of Jesus as being by the hand of God. By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? How does Jesus respond? Jesus answers, verse 24, and says unto them, I will also ask you one thing, answering their question with a question. I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, in likewise will uh, will tell you by what authority I do these things. So if you answer my question, I'll answer yours. The baptism of John, the preaching and teaching, the work of John the Baptist. The baptism of John. Whence was it? Where did that come from? By what authority did John the Baptist work? From heaven or of men? Was John the Baptist working by the authority and power of God or just of his own volition, of his own power, of his own personal will? Well, we know the answer. We know the answer. Why did Jesus ask that one? Because he, he knew their intentions. He knew what they were about, but he wanted to prove something to them. Look at this. Verse 25. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? They know full well. Look at this. You, do you see that? They know full well that John was a prophet of God. They knew full well. It's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. Because they know. And they, they even say, well, if we say it was from heaven, Jesus will say, well, why didn't you, why didn't you believe in him then? And they do not want to have to face that. They don't want to have to face that because they know full well. And they don't want to acknowledge that they were wrong. They're so prideful that they don't want to admit that they were wrong. If we shall say, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why, why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people. For I'll hold John as a prophet, because the people then would stone them. Because John is a prophet of God. And if the, these ones uh, stand up and start denouncing John, the people will stone them for blasphemy and all this. So they're kind of stuck. They no longer can just skirt around finding loopholes. They're now faced, faced with this. They're backed into a corner. They're flat out backed into a corner. So what do they do? If we should say of men, we fear the people. For all, all hold John as a prophet. Everyone else knows. Everyone else knows. So they came up with a, with a solution. They're backed into a corner. And they, uh, they, they have, if they say of heaven, Jesus will, will show them their error and condemn them before the people. If they say it's from men, the people will condemn them. So verse, uh, verse 27, they answered Jesus and says, we don't know. We can't tell. We don't know. They lie. They lie. Full on lie. We all, oh, we don't know. Yes, they do. They know full well. Jesus even says it. You know who I am. They, and points out that they know exactly what's going on. He says, we, well, we don't know. We cannot tell. And Jesus said to them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I work then. Because you just don't know. Verse 28, Jesus immediately switches to a parable. 
right in front of the Pharisees, in front of all the people, as Jesus was in the middle of teaching, and these ones butt in. So Jesus has a parable for everyone to listen to. And he's going to point out the Pharisees. And I'm going to show you by this as well, Jesus is saying that these ones, these chief priests know exactly who he is. Look at this. Verse 28. But what think ye? Think about this. What do you think about this? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? So by this, uh, Jesus is first, first establishing something. He's establishing something. Okay, uh, one say that they're not going to serve, but then they wind up actually serving. One says, oh, I will serve, but doesn't actually. Which one is doing the will of the Father? You see, the Pharisees say that they they will go, they will do the work, they will serve the Lord, and they make themselves in the appearance, the appearance of that, that they're, they're right, but they don't. But the people... Those, those that are struggling, that haven't been following, they say they didn't want to, but now they do. Which ones are blessed? So he's pointing out their hypocrisy. So Jesus asked them, which of these two sons did the will of his father? They say unto him, well, the first. They said he wasn't going to go, then he did go. Jesus saith unto them, verily, I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Think about that one. The publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. See, it's not about works. It's not about religiosity. It's not about the deeds. It's about the belief of the heart. It's about the belief of the heart. Verse, uh, verse 32, and Jesus then addresses John. Because he asked him about John the Baptist. His work, was it from God or of men? And verse 32, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. And you did nothing about it, but, but you saw and you heard and you knew. And you didn't care. But the but the drunkards and the tax collectors and all the sinners and even the whores, the harlots, the prostitutes repented and believed. And they will enter the kingdom of heaven before you. Hear ye another parable, verse 33. Hear ye another parable. Now look at this. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. So he built uh, built up, constructed a big vineyard, a tower, a winepress in the whole, the whole nine yards. And then he lends it out to these ones to look after it. And he leaves and goes into a far country for a while. And when the time of the fruit drew near... He sent to his he sent to his servants to the husbandmen that they that it, they might receive the fruits of it, and the husbandmen took the servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Just like God sends his prophets. He sends his judges, he sends his prophets to warn them, to tell them, to show them, to receive of them that which is of the Lord. And what do, what do the people do? Which of the prophets did they not kill? Which of the prophets did they not kill? But they stoned some, killed some, uh, sawed some asunder, and, and uh, horribly mistreated some. Drove some away. Just like this. The servants that are sent, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son. The Lord of the vineyard is going to send his son, saying, they will reverence my son. Now look at verse 38. 
Look at verse 38. But when the husbandmen saw the sun coming, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. Jesus is flat out saying, you know who I am. And you want to kill me. You want to kill the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because you want to seize all of this for yourself. For your own volition. For your own self. Because you do not love the Lord of the vineyard. You do not love God. And you want to kill the Son, kill the Christ, kill the Messiah to seize the inheritance for yourself. You want to be God. This is the heir. If you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking your Bible, please do so in Matthew 21, verse 38. Underline, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. That proves right there. Jesus is proving it right there. Now look, 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 look. Listen in. And let us seize on his inheritance. Verse 39. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. They caught, him, caught Jesus, cast him out of Jerusalem, Mount Calvary, Golgotha, and slew him. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Verse 41. Then say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their season. Jesus said to them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same as become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, and on whomsoever it shall fall it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, his parable, they perceived that he spake of them. And when he, they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the, the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Look at this. They knew. They knew that Jesus was speaking of them. Jesus saying, you know that I'm the heir. You know who I am. Now let's back up a bit. We're going to look at some things. So in verse 38, Verse 38, when the husbandmen saw the son, they said amongst themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him, proving that they knew who he was. This is a cross-reference to John chapter 7, verse 28, where Jesus is basically saying, you know who I am. And I walked you through that last time, but you want to cross-reference that uh, Matthew 21, 38 with John 7, 28. Okay, so and then uh, we go down here to verse 41. They say unto him, he will... Uh, this is the Jews, the, the chief priests, answering Jesus' parable about this. Because he says in verse 40, When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen that took the air and, and killed them? What will the Lord of that vineyard do? And the chief priests answer Jesus in verse 41. They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men. And will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen. You mean the Gentiles? You mean the Gentiles? That's what this is about. Is it, it is a, it is going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their seasons. That's the Gentiles. And verse 42, Jesus then says to the chief priests, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected as Christ is our chief cornerstone, he's the foundation upon which the church is built. Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And this is a cross-reference of Psalm 118, verse 22. Let's take a look. Psalm 118. And 
Verse 22, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So uh, this is what this is talking about. All right, so let's go over Matthew 21, verse 42. Did you never read this before? How, you've, you may have read it, but, you, but he's talking about, do you not understand this? Do you not understand this? So let, let's continue. Verse 43. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to someone else. And this is where Apostle Paul talks about how one is a Jew, which is not one outwardly, but what is of the heart. For circumcision is of the heart, not the flesh. Not the circumcision made by hands, but, but of the, the fleshy tables of the heart. It is, uh, it is of faith, not bloodline of lineage. It's not about uh, uh, culture or any of that kind of thing. It's not about race. It's about faith. The kingdom of God is about faith. Now, the kingdom of God, uh, the chosen of God, of the, the promise of Abraham, is not upon those which, which are of lineage by blood of ancestry. The promise of Abraham is upon those that believe upon the Lord. God's promise doesn't just come upon you because of, because of your lineage. Where John the Baptist even said to the Pharisees, Say not, well, because we are of Abraham, we are of God. God is able of these stones to raise up seed to Abraham. To not say because of your line, of your bloodline, or your lineage, or whatever. But it's because of faith, of repentance, of faith. The promise of God is upon those that believe. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from, from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Talking about the Gentiles. And whosoever shall fall on this stone. What's the stone? Jesus Christ. To fall on, it, it, to oppose, to oppose. Whosoever shall oppose, you could say, oppose this stone shall be broken. And whosoever it shall fall, the stone falls upon, or the Lord takes vengeance upon himself, will grind him to powder, grind him to dust destroy and when the chief priests and the pharisees had heard this parable had heard his parables they perceived meaning they knew they understood they knew full well they had the understanding here that he spake of them and when they realized this that jesus was addressing them and speaking of them that that and was calling out their error <coughs> excuse me and was calling out that they knew full well who he was Verse 46, they sought to lay hands on him. They wanted to take him, to arrest him. Just like Jesus said. How the husband said, look, this is the heir, let us take him. They wanted to take Jesus and kill him. They tried before. But when they, uh, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude. All the people here, because they uh, because they beheld jesus as some believed him to be the son of david the the, the messiah the christ others thought he was a, a prophet of god but the point is, is they they is the vast majority of the multitude here believed jesus was of god in some form some way so if the pharisees went or were going to try to take jesus arrest him the people would defend him but when they sought to lay hands on him they feared the people because they they took him for a prophet. And also, it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. So if we back up, we see the whole context of the chapter. And this is why we also don't just take individual sections and try to interpret individual sections. You want to take the whole chapter, the whole passage of the whole context. And we take the whole context and we go back and we take a look at the fig tree here. The fig tree. Which proves it, that these husbandmen were not bearing any fruit of themselves. And that they were opposing the Lord. And how it will be taken from them and given to someone else. Now if we go back to the fig tree, back into and take a look at the allegory. 
to Aaron's rod that budded in Numbers chapter 17, we see God selecting who the priest of the temple, the priest of the tabernacle was going to be, which is of the line of Aaron, by causing Aaron's rod to bud. And we see this is now the picture of this, the priesthood, the chief priests opposing the Lord and Jesus saying it's going to be given to someone else. Because their rod, by symbology of the fig tree being cursed, withering up because it was bearing nothing, and the chief priests were opposing the Lord, opposing Jesus Christ, Jesus is taking the priesthood, taking the kingdom, taking the temple, and giving it to someone else. Which is now, uh, by the disciples, it's going to be preached to the world and given to the Gentiles. Does that make sense? Do you see that? Please tell me that makes sense. <laughs> so it's just, it, it's amazing. You see, when you pair scripture with scripture and rightly divide the word of truth, and you go back into the Old Testament to the New Testament, back and forth like this, across the scriptures, you see these pictures, how the Lord works in, in, in consistent similarities like this. There's certain things that the Lord uses, and it's just, it, it's, so powerful when you put this all together and so you see it's not about it's not about culture it's not about lineage bloodline it's not about race it's not about any of that it's not about those who are elected or any of this kind of thing it's about faith of the heart faith of the heart now does this mean that that uh that jews themselves cannot be saved no they can absolutely anyone can anyone can that many jews believed on the lord and got saved the thing is it's about the faith of the heart it's as you see just as many the gentiles reject the lord won't believe on him many other cultures and races and people and kindred and tongues reject the lord but anybody in any of these that believes on the lord can be saved what the lord is talking about here is you think that because you think, you, uh, Jesus saying to the chief priests, you think that because you are of the line of Abraham, you think that because of this by blood and lineage, you think that this means that the blessing of God, the promise of God, and the kingdom of God is upon you because, well, you're riding on the coattails because of your lineage. No. The kingdom of God will be stripped from you and given to someone else because you have rejected what I have established. Because you have rejected the Christ. You've rejected the word of God. You've rejected the Lord. You've set up your own self of your own way. You've corrupted the sacrifices. You have not the love of God in you. This is what Jesus is saying. So therefore it will be preached to someone else. The kingdom of God, which is the blessings of salvation, the blessings of the promises of Abraham, the blessings of the faith upon those that will believe. And let's go over to Acts chapter 15 just for a moment. Acts chapter 15. And, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 15, verse 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto the men and brethren, Ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference. Look at this. Verse 9. And put no difference between us and them. No difference between Jew and Gentile. This is Galatians chapter 5. Or is it chapter 3? Galatians chapter 3, uh, where it says that in Christ is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, all are one in Christ. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our forefathers nor we were able to bear? Well, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. One way, one truth, one life the kingdom of god mark 1 15 the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe the gospel the kingdom of god is not of earth for if my kingdom were of this world then would my servants fight as jesus says but the kingdom is not of this world 
It's not about lands. It's not about empires. It's about that which is of God, of salvation, of being brought back to the Lord. It's about salvation, redemption. It's about faith. It's not of this world. And this is what the Pharisees, the chief priests, and of them, the Jews uh, here, did not understand. And Jesus is saying, because you're rejecting this, you will not listen. You've hardened your heart against the Lord again. It, fine, the Lord says, I, I will preach unto someone else. It's not, it's not a way of salvation for the Jews and a way of salvation for the Gentiles. It's the same. Same faith of the same Lord, of the same cross, of the same salvation. And this is what angers them because they want the kingdom to be theirs. They want to be special. They want, But they are abusing the kingdom of God and turning that which is of faith into that which is of physical because they want to establish a physical kingdom. And there are many so-called professed Christians out there as well that are doing the same thing. They think that we, we need to establish a physical kingdom in the world before Christ comes again. You know, the seven mountain mandate thing, that it's all going to get better, we're going to have mass revivals, and the whole world's going to become Christian, and we need to Christianize the government, Christianize medicine, Christianize education. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The, those ones who, those so-called professed Christians that are saying that are literally no different than these chief priests right here. Makes sense? So what do we do with this? How do we go about this? Understanding what the kingdom of God is all about. And Jesus saying this again and again, establishing this again and again, trying to help them to understand it's not about this world. It's not about works. It's not about what enters the enters the mouth, the, the defiling of hands. It's not about righteous works. It's not it's not about the religiosity. It's not about churchianity. It's about faith of the heart. Because we go back in the Old Testament even where we see by the establishment of the God of Israel, of the of the, the seed of Abraham, of the laws of Moses and all this stuff here, but Gentiles of all kinds of other nations are also getting saved by faith. So we see in here that the kingdom of God is, is not about earthly empires, earthly establishments. But that which we do establish is of the faith of Jesus Christ. The faith of Jesus Christ. The faith of God. Uh, I see so many, even in the Old Testament, got saved by faith. As you see in he uh, go look at uh, Hebrews 11. How, how all these, but by faith they believe, by faith they believe, by faith they were established. It's about faith. The kingdom of God is faith. The kingdom of God is that which is of spirit. So I hope that makes sense. I know this is a bit of a shorter one today, but there's just so much in here. So I hope uh, that this has been a, a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. I hope that uh, you learned a lot here. And if you got any questions, please go ahead and ask. And, uh, yeah, so just something to think about here. We see Jesus dealing with the chief priests, dealing with the Pharisees here, and in context of the fig tree. What does the fig tree symbolize? And we see see by this, by application, we can go back to Aaron's rod in number 17, pairing this with Luke 13 about the fig tree and about it withering up and how it will be torn down if it bears nothing. And we compare this as well with John 15 about the branch in the vine and about how it doesn't uh, abide in, it'll wither up. We see similar language through all of this. And, uh, and we see Jesus dealing with the chief priest, talking about how it'll be taken away and given to someone else. And so therefore, by this, we can see about Aaron's rod and the chief priest and the priesthood order, giving it over to someone else. Jesus saying, well, the kingdom will be handed over to someone else. The faith is handed over to someone else. So that's what that's about. So I hope that this has been a help, a comfort, and encouragement to you. Just a short one today. Well, we went an hour. For us, that's short. But uh, I hope this has been a help, a comfort, and a blessing to you. If you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon, so you know we put up new videos, and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and content, uh, so make sure you check that out as well as our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. 
with, uh, with links to all our other platforms and goodies and free downloadable gospel track PDFs. Make sure you avail yourself to that as well. So with that, we're wrapped it up there. Thank you so much for joining in. God bless you, folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.